I'm going to put a picture up here on the screen this morning. This guy's name is Eric Weihenmayer. Uh, Eric, in 1995, he climbed Denali, which is the highest mountain in, uh, in North America, out in Alaska. Over the next 13 years, Eric then climbed the other highest points in the other six continents. He's only one of 150 people who have ever done this. All seven of the tallest points in our seven continents. And it's amazing that he could do this just on his own, right? Here's what makes the story even more incredible about Eric. Eric is blind. Now think about that for a moment. Like sometimes we can't even walk up a hill without falling down, right? Here's a, a man who is blind, who has done something that only 150 other people have ever, ever done. He was the first person to climb Mount Everest, again, being blind. At the age of 14, he lost his sight. If you read up on Eric, you, you read about all these adventures that he's been on in his life. And for many of us, if we were blind, we'd kind of stop. We'd be, we're kind of done. But not Eric. He's had an amazing life because he believes in something. He believes in this journey that he's on. Now, as I think about Eric and I think about everything he's experienced, two words come to mind, fear and faith. The fear part is, I, I can't imagine being blind and climbing these mountains, what that would have been like for him. Uh, because, I mean, you, you can't see where you're going. But then that's where the faith part kicks in. Because every adventure that Eric has been on, there's been people there with him telling him exactly what to do, what step to take, where to go, where not to go. And Eric has listened, and because of that faith and trust in these people, he's got to experience some amazing and incredible adventures in life. Today we continue this series called The Journey. And if uh, you were here with us a couple of weeks ago, we, we said that this is really about uh, who we are in life. That, um, that this time of year we talk about goals, we, we talk about resolutions, and we put them together. And those things are all about destinations. They're places that we want to get to, places we want to go. But what we forget many times, it's really not about the destination as much as it is about the journey itself. Because it's on the journey that we learn. It's on the journey where we are changed. It's on the journey that we are transformed. And so the powerful point of, of these destinations that we have is not about the destination. It's about the journey that we find each of ourselves are on. And guess what? On these journeys, there's fear and there's faith. This morning, I want to talk about this fear and the faith that we face on our own journeys this series, we're looking at the story of Joshua and the Israelites in Joshua chapter 2. Just kind of give you a quick little recap. Israelites come out of Egypt. Moses has brought them out. Uh, God has led them out. And they've been wandering the wilderness for about 40 years. And finally, they end up on the eastern shore of the Jordan River. And here they are on the eastern shore of the Jordan River. And, and the promised land's on the other side. Here's what they think. We made it. We got here. We're good. All we're waiting for is God to show up with the key, give us the key to the lock. We're going to unlock it. We're going to go to our new home. See, this is a place that's been promised to them for generations. And so they've heard about the promised land. They're excited about the promised land. There sits the promised land. And God's like, you're not there yet. There's still a little bit more to your journey. But here's the deal. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. Here's what I need you to do. Follow me. And by following me and by being strong and courageous, I will give you this land. 
We find ourselves this week in Joshua chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. If not, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. Uh, we're going to put it up here on the screen. You can follow along on your Journey Church app and also on your program. You can take notes. We're going to look through this whole chapter. It's an interesting chapter in, in the Bible. Joshua chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Here's what it says. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So I just said, God said, hey, here's this land for you, but there are things that have got to happen for you to get into that land. And so Joshua says, all right, I need to take two of my best spies, and I'm going to send them into Jericho to see what's happening. So on the eastern side, we have the Israelites. Not too far away on the western side, we have the, the, the city of, of Jericho. Jericho was an impressive, impressive city. I think we have a picture of it here. It was surrounded by two walls. I mean, this was an incredible city. It was an engineering feat in those days. And so this lower wall here um, was about 10 to 15 feet high, but it was six feet thick. And, and Jericho, again, it's, it's built on a hill. And so at the, the crest of the hill, you've got this other set or this other uh, grouping of walls above that. So you've got two sets of walls. That second set of walls, they say was about 20 to maybe 25 feet tall. And again, six feet thick. So if you're standing down at the bottom of the bottom of the lower wall and you're looking up, you're talking about 40 to maybe 50 feet of height that you're staring up at. So if you're an outsider coming in, you're thinking to yourself, what a massive, huge city. I mean, nobody is ever going to overthrow this city. And so Joshua sends these spies into Jericho to take a look at it. Here's what we read in the rest of verse 1. It says, so they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The spies go to Rahab's home, and not for the reasons that, that you may think that they would go to her, her home. But, uh, but in between those two sets of walls, that was kind of the, the low-rent district, okay? That was kind of the, the slums, if you will. And what we read here and what we find through archaeological digs is that there were actually homes that were built into the walls. And so as it talks about Rahab's home, and we'll see this in a second, it was built into one of the walls, into one of the the lower walls there. Now, why would these spies go to Jericho? Or why would they go to to Rahab's home? Pretty simple. Um, What we think we know about Rahab is not only was she a lady of the night, but she she probably had an inn, a, a hostel, maybe even a tavern. And so this is a place that that travelers would go. See, Jericho was set in such a location that one of the main highways for really three different continents met right there. And so this was a very busy place for people to go. And so what would they do? Travelers would come in. They needed a place to stay. And so they would go and they would stay at Rahab's Inn, Tavern, and, and they would hang out and they would maybe have drinks and maybe some other things would happen. But this was a place that was pretty common. And so these spies come in. They want to go to the place where they think they can get the best intel. Because think about what's happening there. People are, are drinking, right? And if you've ever been around people who drink, you know that sometimes they say way too much. And so they go there to get information. People from the city, the main city, probably the wealthy people, the government officials, the soldiers, they would probably go down to Rahab's to hang out to get away for a little bit. Travelers would come in. You know what? They'd go there. And so these guys were there to gather as much intel as they could from Rahab's Hostel, inn, tavern, whatever it may have been there. Look at verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. 
Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. I'm going to go on a limb here and say that in this room, there are probably a few spies. I mean, it's just the nature of where we live, right? Now, I know you're masquerading as school teachers. (laughs) You work for somebody in the government. You're the lead pastor at the journey. I know that some of you in here, you're spies. We get it. We understand it. Maybe that's a job you used to have. Now, we have quite a few people in here that have military backgrounds or you're in the military and and the tours that you've been on, your job was recon. And and so your job was to go to these cities or to these villages or to a group of people and to find out all you could about them so then you could take it back to your superiors and they could make the next decisions about what your your group was going to do, right? And and so we we, we have people in here, you've experienced this. Here's the good news. You are really good at it because you're here, right? What do we find out here in our story? These Israelite spies, they were terrible. Because here it is the same day, and the king's like, we got spies. Got to get them. Well, we know they came into town. Go to Rahab's. Go and find these guys. Now, we don't know why this happened. We don't know. Part of it is probably because they've been wandering for 40 years. They forgot how to be spies. Maybe Jericho was a Nike city, and they wore Adidas when they walked in. We don't know. It may have been a dialect. Something gave them away. They were terrible at it. The king knows these spies are in town. Look at verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. She uses a little misdirection, doesn't she? Like, where are they? They went that way. But they didn't go that way. They actually went that way. They were on the roof above her and above them. As I look at this part of, of this story, it's a reminder to me that sometimes God uses people that we don't expect in our journey to help us. That sometimes the people that we most expect to help us and to support us when we're going through life and we're going through these journeys aren't really the people who help us. It's people like Rahab who show up and we're like, who are you? And yet they're there for us and support us and help us and love us and care for us as we go on this journey in life. Because that's what Rahab does. She helps these spies. Now think about this for a moment. Rahab is in the perfect position to give these guys up. It would have been great for her, easy for her to even do. I'm sure there was money that was involved with this. I mean, she could have very easily done this. It would have totally made sense for for who she was in that city, but she doesn't. She does something very unexpected, and she protects the spies. Look at verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sahan and and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Do you notice her response here? She's like, our whole city is afraid of you. And I love what she says here. Two times she says... They're melting in fear. Why would the Jerichoans, I think you can call them that, um, 
why would they be the people that would be so fearful? Because they've got this, this great, impressive city, right? I mean, they've got these massive walls. They're six feet thick. You, you would think impenetrable. Well, I think there's probably two reasons here. One, imagine for a moment you are this impenetrable city. And, uh, and you look over into the eastern part of the Jordan, and all you see is the swarm of nomadic people. Now, Jericho may have been impressive, but it wasn't big. Uh, scholars say maybe top end three to 5,000 people lived within the city itself, plus the people who lived outside the city. So it's not a big city. It may have been impressive, but it basically covered about two to three city blocks. Not very big at all. But then as you look over onto the other side of the Jordan River, there's all these people. Now, we're not quite sure of the size of the Israelite nation right here. Uh, a couple hundred thousand to some people say even up to 2.5 million people. That's a few more than about 5,000, isn't it? And so they're looking over and they see all these people like, this could get bad. This could get bad real quick. Not only that, but Rahab says, all of your stories have been coming into, into Jericho. Remember, these are travelers who are coming through this place. And so there's probably people coming up from the southern part of, of Jericho and, and below Jericho and southwestern areas of the world at the time. And they're traveling up. And they're like, man, we got to tell you these stories about this, this group of people. Hey, listen, they got out of, of Egypt. That somehow they were captive and, and they were able to, to defeat the Pharaoh and get out of that. People are like, they got away from the Pharaoh. He's a powerful guy and a powerful nation. Yeah, we don't know how they did it. And, and then they came through this Red Sea and they keep talking about this God thing. that He's pulling them through. And, and then they just destroyed these two cities not too far from here. And so you're hearing these stories. Guess what? You're afraid. Not only are there thousands of them on the other side of the Jordan River, but, but they're strong. And as Rahab says... There's something about their God that is different. Now, I kind of struggle with this part of the story because I try to figure out why does Rahab follow God? Because that's what we see. She actually decides that she wants to follow the Israelite God. Why does she do that? Is it, is it fear or, or is it faith? Because she talks about fear. She says, we are afraid. We have heard these stories. We are melting in fear. What is it that motivates us to follow God? What is it that motivates us to be followers of Jesus? Is it fear? See, I think sometimes fear is our motivator. Now, I know people, people that I'm close to, that that's the way they live their life. They're, they say, hey, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, and yet they live consistently and constantly in fear. And fear is the thing that drives them to the point of they don't want to go anywhere, Right? They want to stay in their house, inside their home, because then they don't have to see people, they don't have to talk to people, they don't have to interact with people. They're afraid they're going to make a bad decision. And in that one decision, all of a sudden, God's going to jump in and say, boom, you're gone. You're done. You're dead. I don't have any grace. I don't have any love for you. I don't find that in Scripture. How many of us on our journey, we live in fear? We're motivated by fear. Now, as I read more about Rahab here, here's what I find out. I think fear was a catalyst for her faith and that faith came later on because in the end it's all about that faith it's all about love I love what John writes in 1 John 4 he says there is no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love we love because he first loved us fear should not be our motivator love should be our motivator. It should be the thing that drives us to faith. And I think Rahab gets there. 
Because she says, your God is the right God. You know, Jericho, we've got all these gods, and our gods aren't like this God you guys follow. And then we have all these travelers that come in from all over the world, and, and they come here, and they're talking about their gods and how great they are. And, and yet I, I, I hear that, but I don't see that. And yet I see your God in action. Your God is definitely more powerful than any other gods that others talk about. What I think Rahab was doing is she's been searching for answers her whole life. You don't become a prostitute just because one day you're like, hey, this is what I want to do with my life. Something has happened. Things have taken place in her life. And I truly believe throughout her life she's been looking for answers. She's searching for something. Like many of us in this room. And here these stories come about this people and about this God. And all the fear may have been the catalyst. Here she is now and she's living this out in faith. And she's like, I want, you what, I want what, what you have. I want to follow this God that you follow. Because I finally have figured out, I found what I am searching for. And this faith leads her to action to protect those spies. Look at verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. I love this because you notice something Rahab doesn't say, what are you going to do for me? I need you to save me. Take care of me. How can I be saved from everything that's going to happen here? Because she knows what's getting ready to happen. But she doesn't. Her request is, can you save my family? Can, can you save us? Can, this is bigger than me. This is about us. Can you save us? I, I struggle in the church many times because of people who are just like me are like, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. But then as you talk about the church, as we talk about the church, we, we focus on me, right? We say, hey, the church isn't doing this for me. Hey, I'm going to leave the church because you're not giving me what I want. Now, that's the moment where our faith is not faith anymore. It's not faith in God. It's faith in ourselves. We believe we have the right answers. And so we get to this place where we begin to look at the church and say, what are you doing for me? This is not what the church is about. The church is about what are, what are we going to do for we? What are we going to do for us? How are we taking care of us? And I think we see this with Rahab. She's like, this isn't about me. She says, this is about us. Protect my family. I believe in your God. I want to follow your God. Now protect us. Look at verse 14. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. There we go. We find out that that's the case. Archaeological finds have found that there were homes and establishments built into these walls. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. So a plan is hatched, right? Here's the plan to save you guys. 17. Now the man had said to her, the oath, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, and if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. An oath is sworn, we will protect you and your family. Make sure you put that scarlet rope in your window. Everything will be fine. Verse 22, 
When they left, they went to the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Spies go back and they tell Joshua, it's ours. And in fact, I love it because they use her language. The city is melting in fear. It is ours. Again, as I look at this story in chapter 2, I see fear. Rahab's fear. I think probably even the the spies' fears because they get found out so quickly. But then I see faith. I see Rahab's faith and I see the spies' faith. And they say, hey, God's going to give us this land. And Rahab says, I believe in your God. I want to follow your God. Fear has become faith. On our journey that you and I are on, what does that look like for us to not live in fear but faith? Which I think makes us ask three questions from the story today. The first question is, on your journey, are you traveling by fear or faith? Fear is a good motivator. Fear many times keeps us healthy because we go to the doctor and we get a report that we don't like and we got to work on our cholesterol. We, you know, we, we got to work on our lipids. We got to work on whatever other stuff we got to work on because the doctor's like, hey, this is something you really need to do. And so fear motivates us to, to get healthy. Fear motivates us financially. If we know we're not going to have any more money or we're going to have to file for bankruptcy, we begin to think, what can I do to not get to that place? And so fear motivates us financially. It motivates us in relationships. We don't want to lose someone that we care about and we love. We'll change who we are. We'll, we'll get counseling because we want to work on this. This is so important. And so, so fear motivates us. It motivates us in our jobs. So fear, it, fear is, is a motivator for us, but fear can only take us so far. And when we're going through life and we're on this journey of life, how many times do we find that we are stuck and we're stuck for one reason? We're afraid. We're fearful. We can't go any farther because of, of the sphere that has just overtaken us. See, the only way that we can continue on in our journey, I think, is to have faith. And to have faith in God. Are we letting God lead us? Or do we have faith in God to lead us to those destinations through the journey that we find ourselves on instead of fear? On your journey, are you traveling by fear or faith? The second question I think we have to ask is, who are the people on the journey with you? Uh, I think if you were to make a list of people in your life that have been with you in those tough times, I think you'd be surprised what you'd find many times. Because I think what you'd find is the people that you most expected to be there really weren't with you, and the people that you least expected were the ones right in the midst. They were the ones holding your hand. They were the ones that you could cry on their shoulders. They, They were the ones that were giving you words of wisdom. They were the ones that were being quiet when they needed to be quiet. See, I think sometimes it's the people we least expect on the journey with us who have the biggest impact in that journey. So my question is, who is on your journey with you? That's why we talk about life groups here at The Journey. Uh, They're an important part of of who we are. Um, uh, The very first week I I talked about this community that we're in and five-mile radius is about 280,000 people who have no religious background at all, don't care about church, don't care about God, don't care about any kind of religion. But then I, I said that, you know, the, the big thing is what you'll find, people who are searching, like Rahab here, they're, they're looking for something. The first place that they will go is to a church. And they'll walk through those doors on a Sunday morning, and this would be their introduction many times to who Christ is. But, but I can promise you one thing. If, 
If your involvement in a church is just on Sunday mornings, you're missing out on so much. And so one of the things that are important to us at the journey is getting people connected in groups. We, let me just say this and be honest. Our groups are full of imperfect people, all right? We're just going to say it. And our, our group leaders, I'm pretty sure they're imperfect too. And I'm one of those group leaders, so I know this. Um, they're not perfect. They don't have all the answers, which is why we let them be life group leaders. Um, but, but we're all kind of searching for something in life, and we're, we're looking for a place to connect, and our groups are all about that. Now, some people say that, that life groups are all about spiritual growth. I would say, uh, to me, that's a secondary piece. We hope it happens. For me, it's about the relationships. For me, it's about the connecting point with, with us, with other people from our church, so that when we're going through life's journey, guess what? We have people we can connect with that the people that you didn't even know existed all of a sudden are right there beside you in those tough times in life on the journey that you're on. And by the way, you're walking their journey with them too. That's why life groups are important to us here. We'd love for you to get involved with those. Tomorrow morning, an email is going to go out. It's going to be a blast to everybody here. It's going to have all that information about our groups and who we are and what we do. It'll be up on our app too. Here's what we want you to do. If you're not in a group, just Throw out a couple, like, hey, I want to check out a couple of groups. We're going to get back in touch with you this week. We're going to let you contact our groups. They're getting started here in the next two weeks. It's a great opportunity as this year begins to find people to go on this journey with you. Because I think that's a huge question we have to answer. Who is on this journey with us? And then lastly, what is the focus of your faith? What is the focus of your faith? I've shared this before. I have to be very careful in my role that I don't let this church be the focus of my faith. And in my role, it's very easy to do that. But everything I think about and everything I do and everything I'm excited about is all about, about this church. And, and I'll be honest with you, every pastor struggles with this. But here's what I know. If I can get away from that and focus on God, it changes everything. For some of us, the faith that we have is in our family. It's in our spouse. It's in our relationships. Let me be honest with some parents here. Sometimes our kids are what we have all of our faith in. Your kids, your spouse your relationships, the church, they're going to let you down. They will. So my question is, do you have faith in God? Because when I find when God is focused of everything I do, when I'm trying to do everything I can to live my life for Christ, everything else just kind of trickles down from that in healthy ways because my faith is in the right place. My, my view of the church is healthy. My view of my relationships are healthy. You and I have to get to this place of where we have our faith in the right place. So what is your focus on when it comes to faith? Is it something, someone, or is it God? I love the story of Rahab because it's so powerful and there's so much there, but it really is a story of faith. And I think the question for you and I on our journeys is where is our faith? And are we allowing the faith of God to lead us to our destinations? Now, there's another part to this that I love in the story, there's a scarlet rope. And you, you realize it's very significant to this. Um, the, the spies say, hey, you know, well, one, uh, she lowers them down from the scarlet rope from their window. And then she is supposed to put the scarlet rope in the window to protect her and our, our family. But um, at the very beginning, they, she hides them under the flax stalks. I mean, we, we hear flax today and we're thinking, hey, that's supposed to keep me regular, right? That's kind of what we're thinking. But anybody over the age of like 55 just laugh. But uh, 
I'm just kidding. Um, but, but here's the deal. The, those flax stalks were, were pretty important. They were actually used, flax was used to make soft linen cloth. And the coarser pieces to this were actually put together and intertwined and they would make rope and they would make cords out of it. It's thought that Rahab may have had a side business doing this. And if she did, her specialty was scarlet. But that was her color. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. You you think about that rope that was used to lower those guys down. You think about that rope that was put in that window to protect her, to save her. Do you realize that was a symbol for her? Like, Like this was a symbol of this covenant that was made between Rahab and the Israelites. This was her salvation. If you read up much about Joshua and Jesus, you'll find there's all these similarities between these two And as I think about the scarlet cord here within this story, it is that covenant, but but the covenant for us is also scarlet, the scarlet blood of Jesus, covenant that was made between God and humanity, where God says, I'm going to send my son to this earth to die for you. And guess what? He's He's going to shed his blood. And that blood is red. That blood is scarlet. That blood is a symbol of this covenant that I have with you. And I love thinking about that imagery there. It says, this is your salvation. This is what saves you and I from who we are, is that blood, that scarlet blood of Jesus Christ. Here's what's so powerful to me. We look at Rahab, and she's not the person that we would have chosen for this story to be the hero, but she is. She is. She's the hero. But what does God do? Through that covenant, God blesses her. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, here's what we read. We read Rahab's name in the genealogy of Jesus. And not only that, but she was a great-grandmother of a guy named King David. Here's what God did. God said, I see you, Rahab. I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I know the, everything about your life, but I love you. And I'm going to take care of you. And here's this covenant with you. I'm going to protect you. And oh, by the way, not only that, not only am I going to save you, but I'm going to bless you. And you know what God does for us? He says, hey... I know you, I know where you've been, I know what you've done, I know what you're going to do today, I know what you're going to do three weeks ago from here, but here's the deal, I love you, I care about you, and I'm here to save you through my son Jesus and that scarlet blood. That's the love God has for us. And maybe you're here today like, man, I want that. I want to be all in on that. I, I want to know what this is like to accept that. And so we invite you to do something. We take that connection card and fill that out. And one of our big spiritual steps is baptism. That's really our time that we say, hey, God, I'm all in with you. And if that's where you are today, we'd love for you to mark that and then just bring that to me. I'll be outside at the end of our service. Bring it to me. Let's let's talk about it. Let's set up a time to talk because I believe in the salvation of that scarlet blood. And God will bless us if we have our faith in him like we find here with the story of Rahab. Where's your faith? Is it full of fear? Is that how we live our lives? Are we living a life of faith? like we see here in the story with Rahab and the Israelites and Joshua.